at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us. And at this time, feel free to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. Psalm 105, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. Amen. Let's sing praises to the Lord this morning.
Well, good morning, Fusion family. Good morning, guests that are here this morning. We have a, a very special uh, Sunday morning of worship. And uh, before we get into that, God is good, amen? God is good. And, and we look outside and see snow falling and we say, God is good, amen? Yeah. Thursday was nice too. God is good, right? Yeah, Thursday was good. It's a reminder to us though that, that God is God. And God is faithful from generation to generation. God does not change like the weather in West Michigan changes on a dime. And God has been consistent. And, and we light a candle, a Christ candle. We, we sing songs that span the generations because people have been gathering in the name of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. Think about that. And the church of Jesus Christ has have been claiming God's promises in baptism for 2,000 years. It was just striking me as we were singing that song that's often in our culture today, we're, we're enamored with the new and what's the new and what's the latest, but there's something good about, about what has stand, stood the test of time. Amen. And we have a very special privilege this morning because we get to claim God's covenant, covenantal, unchanging promises in baptism over God's, one of God's special sons, little Weston J. Hassefort. And we welcome him into the family of God. Uh, we say this every time we had a baptism, and, and we had a baptism last week, so this might sound familiar, but there's three things happening this morning, uh, all of which are amazing and incredible. The first thing that's happening this morning is, is Dylan and Allison are, are making promises to Weston as his parents, which is a beautiful, powerful thing. The other thing that's happening is we as a church family and friends who have gathered here, we're also making promises to this precious little boy. But the most incredible thing that's happening this morning is that God is making promises over this child. That, that God in his abundant grace and love for this little one is claiming him as his beloved son. That is beautiful. Can I get an amen to that? And we do that. We, 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 we offer this, this gift of baptism for our children as well as adults for, for, a lot of, for some, some specific reasons. Scripture testifies, and we've been in this journey, the, the story we've been looking, for those who are guests, we've been looking at the whole narrative of Scripture. And from that narrative, we've remembered that beginning with Abraham, God is a God of covenant. That God makes covenant with his people and with Abraham that covenant was signed with a mark, a physical mark in circumcision at, at, for, a, for a male child at eight days old. Now in Jesus Christ there's a new covenant and in Jesus Christ the same parallel in the New Testament is given is that God has given us a new sign, a new seal to claim and to mark God's children as his own and it's baptism. For males, for females, for all of God's people, this covenant has been expanded. And so this morning, we mark Weston with the covenant of baptism. And we offer this gift for our children as well as adults because of this. We know that God's love for us precedes our love for him. Think of it this way. Weston, he's just, he's oblivious right now. He's just sleeping. He's having a great time. But Weston, this infant child does not understand how much Dylan, Allison, you, you love him. He doesn't understand the extent of your love, that you would do anything for him. And he doesn't, but it doesn't change the fact that you love him and it doesn't change the fact that he is your son. 
In a similar way today, even though he does not understand it yet, Weston becomes part of God's family, not based on his own decision, but based on his heavenly father's love for him. And for all of us here, these waters of baptism become a powerful reminder that we love because Christ first loved us. That while we were yet sinners, before we did anything to deserve it, Jesus Christ bore the weight of our sin, died on the cross, and offers us the gift of salvation. What a powerful reminder. Can I get an amen to that? We amen winter. We can amen that, right? At this time, I'd like to invite Dylan, Allison, Weston, Tegan, you can come up here too. All right. Tegan, you want to check out the water again? And years ago, we put water on your forehead as well because you are a daughter of God and he loves you as well. All right. We'll take a deep breath. You love being in front of people, right? Yeah. <laughs> but this is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. Dylan Allison, because God has given you the responsibility to love and raise Weston, I ask you to make the following commitments. And after I ask these questions, just respond, we do, God helping us. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Accept the promises of God and affirm the truth of the Christian faith which is proclaimed in the Bible and confessed in this church of Christ? Do you believe that your children, though sinful in nature, are received by God in Christ as members of his covenant and therefore ought to be baptized? And do you promise, in reliance on the Holy Spirit and with the help of the Christian community, to do all in your power to instruct Weston in his Christian faith and to lead him by your example to be Christ's disciple? Dylan, Allison, what is your response? Amen. And now, congregation of Jesus Christ, family of God, I ask you to stand as uh, we have the joy and privilege of standing alongside this family and their commitment to Weston uh, to make promises. And so I'm going to ask, if you are willing to make these promises, just respond together in unison. We do, God helping us. And here's the promise. Do you promise to receive Weston in love, to pray for him, to help instruct him in the faith, to encourage and sustain him in the fellowship of believers, people of God, what is your response? We do, God helping us. And you may be seated. And now we've been using here at at Hardaway Ministries the French Reformed liturgy. The words uh, will be on the screen. And uh, hear these words as promises uh, to Weston as I speak them over him. For you, little child, Jesus Christ has come. He has fought, he has suffered. For you, he entered Gethsemane and the horror of Calvary. For you, he uttered the cry, it is finished. For you, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and there he intercedes for you. All of this was done for you, little one, though you do not know any of this yet. But we will continue to tell you this good news until it becomes your own. And so the promise of the gospel is fulfilled. We love because he first loved us. If you agree with those words, I just invite you to say amen. Amen. All right. He is out like a light bulb. He just lost his passy. I kind of feel bad, but not really, because this is a sign of the covenant of God. Tegan you can, and Dylan, you guys can come around too. Weston J., you are so loved. He woke up. 
Weston J., I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll dry it off for you, buddy. All right. God's people rejoice together. All right. In Mark, in Mark 10, the, peop, the people come to Jesus, and this is a, a powerful verse, uh, bringing their children to Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and his disciples, they want him to bless them. His re- disciples rebuke them as if Jesus doesn't have time for little ones. And this is, this is how Jesus responds. And these are words that are true today. Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Baptism is a reminder of God's love and grace and embrace of our children. And we praise God for that. Tegan, I need your help. Can you help me? All right. I have a book. Maybe you have the same book. This is for your brother. It's called At Your Baptism. You want to hold the box too? Here, how about, I'll give this to your dad. You hold that. That's the certificate. And then in this box is the French Reformed liturgy at his profession of faith. It's sealed. We open that and are reminded of God's promises. But Tegan, would, be, would it be okay if I prayed for you and your family? All right, all right. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this family. We thank you for your covenant promises, your love for them. We thank you for the promises that they have made to Weston. We thank you for the church, this church, family, who's made promises uh, to teach them the faith. And Lord, we thank you for your covenant promise, your love, uh, the power of your love and your covenant. We pray for Weston. We pray, Lord, that you'd watch over him, that you'd protect him, and that you would continue to grow in him a faith and a love for Jesus Christ. And we look forward to one day him standing up here and proclaiming boldly that he loves and gives his life to Jesus Christ. We pray all this in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ and God's people say, amen and amen. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you. <laughs> all right. And uh, at this time, I'd like to invite uh, Darwin to come forward who's gonna do our prayer and also invite our, our young ones uh, to join Janet over at the door and we are gonna offer a blessing. If you're a guest with us, uh, feel free to go with your kid to walk them down so you know where they are, but uh, we're gonna offer a blessing Uh, for our kids and uh, this blessing is not only for the kids standing over by the door but also our kids who remain in service we welcome all of that Uh, also there was a note about the fourth and fifth grade students Uh, there will not be Sunday school but for fourth and fifth grade students we are having our kids sing the, the Sunday before Christmas and so you guys still need to head down there and practice and lead us well and now Darwin and I are gonna lead us in the blessing okay how are we gonna do this I don't know I think we'll just say it Okay, I'll tell you what, you be the adult, I'll be the kid. Okay, that makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. (laughs) All right, let's say this together, adults. The Lord be with you. And also with you. They did a lot better than you, Dar. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Good morning. Good to see you all today. We'll begin with a reading from Psalm 62. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, 
my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you that we can gather together in this place. And we thank you that you are here. That you are here moving among us through the power of your spirit. That you are here through the song and through the preaching of your word and through the baptism of Weston. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can gather as your people, a unique people, a people who have surrendered their lives to Christ, who desire to find their identity in Christ, who desire to be formed by the gospel into your people, and who are committed to following you faithfully throughout all their lives. And Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for little Weston who has um, joined us in that journey. And in that journey of finding our identity and being formed by and following Christ, we have all taken a commit pledge and commit ourselves to walk with Weston through this. And at times, it'll appear simple. At times, it may appear challenging. But may we be, as a community, committed not only to Weston, but to all of our young people and walking with them in the faith. And may we learn how to have conversations with them and talk with them about the difference that Christ has made in our lives. Gracious Father, as we even gather this morning, we look at the world around us as your people. Sometimes we're confused by the things that are going on. Sometimes we're troubled. And sometimes we rejoice. But Lord, do you know that you, we know that you have called us out as your people? And that part of that calling is to care well for others in the love of Christ. And so, Lord, may we be a community that loves others well, that speaks the gospel clearly, that wrestles with people spiritually. May we be your people in the midst of this world in a way that is welcoming to the outsider and to the stranger. And so, Lord, as we gather, we pray. We pray for those in our community that struggle, those that are struggling with health issues, those that are struggling with mental health issues, those that are struggling spiritually. May we walk alongside them. May we care for them. May we offer an encouraging word to them. May we point them to the true power that is yours in the gospel of Christ. And so, Lord, as we continue our worship together, we ask that you presence might be felt, that it might be experienced, that as JB brings the word of God to us, that your spirit might move in our hearts and awaken us and enlighten us to your calling for us as a community, as we love and serve each other, as we love and serve those around us. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Darwin. Well, good morning again. Good morning, good morning. How many times can the pastor say good morning in one Sunday? We're breaking records. All right. Hey, uh, just a quick word. You'll know, you have noticed in your, on your seats, on some of the seats anyway, there are some paper bags. Just to share a quick word about those, uh, one of the organizations that partners with uh, Hardwick Ministries, Neighbors Plus, uh, our outreach branch really in many ways, uh, but its own organization, uh, they support a variety of ministries in our community. And uh, every year, not last year, but every year there's the Thanksgiving bag collection. And so you'll notice there's a list of items for a couple different local organizations 
uh, my sister's house, my brother's house, and then our neighbor's plus market, which allows people to come for $5 to, to shop for food and different household items. Uh, you, if, take one of those bags. And even if you're a guest with us uh, this morning, Feel free to take a bag. You don't have to fill the bag with every item. I don't think every item will fit in the bag. But grab some items. Maybe do that as a family. Kind of model some generosity and some giving. And uh, bring those bags back in the next couple weeks. We'll be collecting them at our Thanksgiving offering or the Sunday after or that Monday the 28th. That way those items can get to those who need them. Does that make sense? And, uh, you know, with the snow, uh, on Thursday when I learned that Thanksgiving was two weeks away, I was kind of like, what? That doesn't make sense. I'm at the beach. Um, today, that makes a lot more sense. Um, but it's this season of Thanksgiving, the holidays, where we remember and we're grateful for all that God has done for us. And in that, oftentimes in the, in the season of the holidays, we're reminded of the importance of generosity. And uh, these bags are kind of uh, one of these examples of a special opportunity to, to be generous and to model generosity for our kids. Uh, but, th- but it's also important to recognize that, that regular ger- generosity is also important. And over the last uh, couple years with COVID, we have not taken a, a collection with the plates, uh, but there is opportunity. So just a gentle reminder that um, to give and to be generous, and to be formed by, by a generous spirit because of all that God has done for us. Um, if you're looking for ways to give, um, talk to me or talk to Norlin and we'll get you set up. But there's something about seeing those unique opportunities to be generous, but there's also something about being formed by a regular rhythm of giving. And so whatever church you're part of, I encourage you to, to participate in that. That's one of our commitments as well. But anyway, Amen. Like, amen, okay, thank you, okay. We find our place in the story. We jump right back in. Last week, um, I don't know about you, but we've, we've been in this, this, narr- this grand narrative of the story from Genesis uh, through Revelation. And uh, last week, we kind of took a little, a little sidestep from the grand narrative. We were in Judges and Joshua and, and the conquest and the promised land. Last week was kind of a breath of fresh air. I don't know about you, but I experienced it that way, where, where we stepped out of this grand narrative of the nation of Israel and kind of zeroed in on one family family and one town in Bethlehem and the story of Ruth. And we looked at, at this, this testimony of this family's uh, life of love and generosity, really, and how they were following G- God, excuse me, Yahweh, in this difficult time in God's in God's people's history. This week we step forward and we're going to be spending the next three weeks in the book, books of First and Second Samuel. And First and Second Samuel is really written as one book, uh, but because of the length got split up into First and Second. Uh, but we have a little graphic on the screen that kind of gives a summary of the book of Samuel. And you'll notice a little note, this was adapted from Bible Project, uh, just trying to make it a little simpler um, uh, but the, 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 the book of Samuel really follows three central characters in the story, in the movement, the narrative. Samuel, the first seven chapters, and then you'll see these two arcs of Saul, his rise and fall, and then David in going into 2 Samuel. Uh, if we're looking at the beginning of the book of Samuel, which there's so many stories. As we cover large chunks of scripture, there's just so many amazing scripture passages that we just don't have time to cover. Uh, but the book of Samuel begins with this powerful story of Hannah, who, who's barren, and she prays to 
God for a child and God gives her this child, Samuel, and she commits that child to serve under the priest Eli. Uh, this, this, this line, here I am, Lord, because the Lord continues to call to Samuel, right? And then there's this fascinating story of, of this battle between the Philistines and the Israelites and there's all kinds of things going on. But at the end of the day, in chapters four through seven, the Lord wins victory without any army uh, and he defeats the Philistines. There's this this account of Dagon, this, this idol and the ark and Dagon falls on his face and his arms break off. Anyway, fascinating stuff. I wish we had more time. Uh, but then we, we fast forward to uh, chapter eight, which is gonna be our text this morning where the people of God demand a king and from there we, we follow in the book of Samuel the rise of Saul. I should go this way. And then his fall. And then at the same time Saul is, is falling King David, or David, the shepherd boy, his rise, and then his eventual fall. This week we'll be focusing on Saul, and the next two weeks we'll look at David on that ark. You with me? So as we enter into the book of Samuel, our text this morning, as I said, is 1 Samuel chapter 8. The people are clamoring for a new leader, for new leadership. And uh, as we read from God's word, I invite you, it's our tradition, it's our custom here to honor God as he speaks to us. I invite you to stand if you're willing and you're able this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. It's the same word for judges there. The name of his firstborn was Joel, uh, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they, when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, Listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me, the Lord, as their king. And they have done from, as they have done from the day I brought them out, up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to, to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And he said, these are those words, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves." When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. 
When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for how these accounts of your people continue to speak by the work of your spirit into our lives today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, uh, so that we might hear from you. And Spirit, that that you might uh, challenge us where we need challenging, you might encourage us where we need encouragement, And in all things, Lord, that you would be forming us more and more into the likeness of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. And amen. Being a a father of a a nine-year-old and a a five-year-old, one of my my favorite things to do uh, is to just have conversations with my kids. Uh, particularly at these young ages, like like five, you start asking them things and they start telling you a story. Uh, and it's, it's funny, it's cute, and it's kind of this window into their world. Uh, particularly when, when kids start to get in debates. Have you ever listened to like five-year-olds have like an argument? Uh, usually it's over things like, uh, the, the, fair, the, the tooth fairy or, you know, all these different debates about things on the playground. And, and there's this classic conversation that, that young kids will have, particularly in kindergarten or preschool, uh, about, about whose dad can beat up whose dad. Is this still happening? My wife just laughed way too hard about that because I'm not going to beat anyone else up, you know. Anyway, I, 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 I kind of got a window into uh, Bryson's world uh, because we start having, he starts telling me this story and it's kind of this playground posturing. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't about me because apparently he doesn't think all that much of me and my strength. It was about his sister. And, uh, and, and these two, him and his friend were talking about whose, whose sibling was stronger and he was telling me about this story, and I said, you've got to tell me that again. And I kind of pull out my camera and kind of just recorded the audio. Now, what we're going to try to do is listen to that audio, but you've got to be quiet, and re- you've got to really discern, and I'll try to translate, okay? Does that sound good? We're going to listen to a conversation, Bryson telling me about this conversation he had with one of his classmates. Listen. So, Chris said that, that, he was stronger than Eddie, and then Chris said that he lift up, that he lift up 10 couches or 100, uh, and, that's not true, no one could do that, right? No one could do what? Lift 10 couches? Yeah, like 1,000,000 couches? <laughs> only, the only person who could do that is God. Yeah, I think you're right. That's like, true. God is like pretty impressive because he's like stronger than no one. He like he's literally bigger than Godzilla. Bigger than Godzilla? Yeah, he is. Yes. Yeah, that's true. He's like one million times taller than Godzilla, right? Oh yeah, a million yeah. times taller. Yeah. Yeah, he. Do you know what? What? David was a 
small bully, and I don't think a lot was big at all, actually. <laughs> oh, no? Why not? Why do you think that? Because he actually looked real. Goliath does? Yeah, but Daddy, can you just do the Bible? I'll read a Bible story. Yeah, we can read a Bible story. What? He was tired of me asking him all these questions. Kind of funny, huh? A little window into our kids' minds and, and, and really the beginning of that uh, where, where our kids are kind of fascinated and enamored with, with strength, right, and power. And my dad can beat up your dad or, or my sister's definitely stronger than your brother and can lift up more couches. Apparently that's the measure of strength these days. I don't know. It's kind of this playground posturing and who's stronger and who can win in battle. And, and then, of course, we know and we understand that we become adults and we put that posturing to the side, right? Not so sure, right? Yeah, maybe not. I, I think it's funny, like, we, we grow up and actually what happens is it seems like not much actually changes. And if we're honest, like, as adults, we, we remain pretty enamored with strength and power, and, and who can beat up who. Just, just look at some of the movies that have been the biggest box office hits in the last several years. We have the, the Avengers series, right? Which is a whole franchise. It's like the, 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 the highest grossing movie franchise. And what is it about? It's about superpowers, that ex- superheroes that exhibit strength beyond what's reasonable, and we're enamored with that. Or all of these different movies that are about plots of revenge, like John Wick, and uh, I don't know about you, but like, it seems like every Liam Neeson movie that's ever made since Taken has the same kind of basic plot line, right? Of revenge, and he's going to just beat everyone up. Like, even as adults, we become enamored with power and strength, and it's not just our movies, right? Who are the people we look up to in this world? We get to 1 Samuel 8 and it seems like the people of Israel have a similar obsession to a certain kind of leader. One who will rule with power and might and Israel is asking and clamoring for a king. A specific kind of king. Did you catch that? Israel asks for a king in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Part of the request stems from this recognition and we read it right at the beginning that Samuel's sons, uh, Joel, And Abijah are unfit to become Israel's next leaders. They recognize the corruption in Samuel's sons, and so they're not fit to be leaders or judges of the people. They fail to practice righteousness. They fail to keep the law. Instead, they're perverting justice. They're accepting bribes for their own gain. And and so the elders are like, we need someone else. And they request a king. And here's the words in verse 5. You are old. Sam was like, thanks a lot. And your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now part of the problem is there's this void in leadership, right? But there's something else in this request, and it's their desire to have what the other nations have. They're witnessing these other pagan nations who have kings who rule over them, and they want what those other nations have. And at this point in Israel's history, the leadership has primarily been handled by prophets and priests like Moses and Aaron or a series of judges as we've looked at a couple weeks ago. And the most recent of those judges is actually Samuel, who's handling disputes, but not so much on a regional level. He's actually traveling to different cities to handle disputes and and to act as judge of the people. 
But the problem is, I, I think what's happening here is that people are recognizing that this form of leadership seems inefficient and ineffective, particularly if you think about it from a militaristic or strategic perspective. You have these regional judges, but, but a king, a king who has, who has this kind of unilateral power, who can move quickly and decisively against an enemy, that's what we want, the people of God say. This is what the elders of Israel saw in the other nations and this is what they want for themselves. They want a king who is a powerful ruler who can lead them into battle. That's exactly what they say in verse 20, right? A king who will lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. They want a king like the other nations have. Let's just pause a moment. As we, as we study scripture, it's important we, we use this term, to, to use the scriptures as a mirror, right? And so we, we use the scriptures, we turn the mirror and look at our own lives. And we ask this question, you know, Israel is, is, is impressionable, and we gotta ask ourselves, in what ways are we impressionable? In what ways do we want what the other nations and what their cultures have, right? Just gotta ask ourselves those questions. And here's the problem, getting back to Israel. Here's the problem. There's, there's one big problem with Israel's request for a king. It's, it's a huge one. It's a significant one. And the problem is this, that Israel already had a king. The Lord, Yahweh, was their king. Verse 7 says this, And the Lord told him, Listen to all the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected, Samuel, but they have rejected me. They have rejected the Lord as their king. You see, for the people of Israel, this was not simply a request for a new, more efficient political or governmental structure. No, this was a rejection of the Lord. This was an act of distrust in the Lord. We need a human king to lead us. And, and, and as they make that request, what we read in, in verses 8 and following is that the Lord makes this comparison to this request for a king to the idolatry that we've been studying in the weeks prior. That this was, a, this was comparable to idolatry. Since the time of Egypt, the people have given themselves over to other gods and nations. We've studied it. We've seen how much of a mess it leads to. And now they're here, not wanting to give their devotion and their lives to these pagan or foreign nations and gods, but they want a human king to rule over them. And they're trying to give their devotion and allegiance to an earthly king and ruler instead of the Lord. And it was a huge problem. And it's a problem not because God's ego is somehow on the line. No, it's because God understood where a monarchy would lead the people. And throughout the story, what we see is, is, is that the Lord, as their king, has consistently shown graciousness, compassion, and patience to the people that no earthly king would tolerate. And there's justice that the Lord gives, yes, but there's this patience and he never gives up. He's faithful to his people. And what, and what God knows is that an earthly king is going to be broken and it's going to lead to not great results. And so the Lord tells Samuel to warn the people. Warn the people. You're asking for a king, but it's not going to end well. And this is the warning. Samuel communicates what the Lord passed, passed on to him, right? He's communicating the Lord's word to the people. And he repeats this phrase. Did you hear the phrase that gets repeated in verses 11 through 17? He will take. 
or uh, it's a different word, but he will take a tenth. Six different times he will take. The warning is this, Israel, you think that a king will give to you. You think that a king has something to offer you. No, a king will only take from you. Quick rundown of what the king takes that was spoken in these verses. The king will take your sons for his army. The king will take your daughters to serve in his courts. The king will take your land, your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves and redistribute them to his attendants. A king will take your servants and your best work animals and then he will take a tenth of your income. Everything that you produce and all of your flocks, he will take a tenth of it for himself. And at the end of the day, the Lord warns through Samuel, at the end of the day, you will become slaves to this king. And what we see in these words of warning is an echo from the book of Judges. Just a couple weeks ago, we were in the book of Judges. We talked about the idols and the people of God were were giving their hearts and their devotion to the idols and the kings and the, the foreign nations around in Canaan. And what happened is they became enslaved by those nations. You want to give your life to those things? Those things will begin to own you. And again, we 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 take the mirror and we turn it at our own lives and our own hearts. What are the things we're giving our lives to? What are the things we are giving our devotion to? Who are the people that we are looking to for our hope and our salvation? And if if we're not careful, those things will begin to own and control us. But after all of this warning, after all of this very direct warning that Samuel gives to the people, what do we read? How do they respond to Samuel? They respond in this in verses 19 and 20. Says, no. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. We still want a king like the nations around us. And God says, okay. Listen to them. Give the people what they want, give them a king. And the the, the narrative picks up Israel gets their king. Israel gets the king that they wanted. First Samuel chapter 9, we're actually introduced to this king. Israel wanted a king like the nations around them. In the chapters that follow, chapters 9 through 15, it seems like this is precisely the king they would receive. And let's take a look at how that works out. They get King Saul. And with King Saul, it first seems pretty promising, right? First Samuel chapter 9, we're introduced to the man who would become king. And right away, we see that Saul at least looks the part. Verses 1 and 2, our first introduction to Saul. What do we read? There was a ben- Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. Kish had a son named Saul. Now, how would you like this description? As handsome as a young man as could be found. Anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Things start out pretty promising. Saul comes from this good family, a man of standing. That means a a man of wealth and means, a Benjamite. And not only that, but Saul is, is taller than everyone else and he's better looking than everyone else. He's checking all the boxes so far. Chapter 9 and 10 continue and tells us of how Saul received God's anointing from Samuel along with this promise of God's presence to be with him. He's anointed king in chapter 10. But along what's carrying that narrative through, interestingly enough, there's kind of this little note at the bottom, is this story about, about how Saul has, has misplaced his father's donkeys. He can't find them. 
And this little detail continues to get carried on throughout this narrative. A little more on that random, seemingly random detail. But Saul looks the part. And not only that, but Saul plays the part as well. Chapter 11, by the time we get to chapter 11, Saul has been proclaimed the king. And most of the people affirm this, saying, long live the king. But now comes the first real test as king. In chapter 11, we read that the Ammonites, again, one of these long-standing enemies of Israel, propose to make a treaty with Israel, but there's one condition for this treaty. We'll make a treaty with you, but they say, all the men of Israel need to gouge out their right eye. Now, that's a pretty terrible term for a treaty, right? And the people are terrified. They're like, what is going on? And they're weeping and they're crying and they're terrified because of this, this, this threat of gouging their eyes out. And what happens in chapter 11? Saul comes to town. In comes our hero. Saul comes to town. And what we read is that Saul, in his anger and his passion, he takes some oxen and he chops these oxen up into little pieces and he sends them out throughout the land of Israel saying this, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. He's rallying the troops in pretty dramatic fashion, right? And in that, he gathers 330,000 men to, to fight the Ammonites and guess what? They're victorious. And they defeat the enemy Ammonites and the kingdom is renewed and we're like, yes, we've got our king. But unfortunately, what it seems is that this victory only seems to feed some of Saul's own character flaws, which begin to be revealed as the chapters continue. What we see in King Saul is, is a man who's deeply flawed. It's a deeply flawed character, and it leads to his own downfall. The narrative continues, and, and, and as we, what we saw hinted at in, in chapter 9, really, this, this strange detail of a man who's lost his father's donkeys kind of reveal a man who's a terrible shepherd, right? A man who, who, who loses track of his flock. A man who's less concerned with those who are in his care and more concerned about himself and those character flaws begin to be magnified. Chapter 3, King Saul is preparing for, to battle the Philistines who are gathering, but he's told to wait for Samuel to prepare a burnt offering. He's told to wait seven days. Now, Samuel might be running a, a, a little bit late, but Saul grows impatient and he makes the offering himself. And this goes directly against God's law. It reveals a character flaw, a man who's impatient, who's arrogant, who thinks he can do these things on his own, who's ignorant, thinking he can use God to advance his own pursuits and glory. We get to chapter 14 and there's this, this strange uh, account where they're, they're, Jonathan's introduced and, and they're having this battle and Saul makes this rash vow that no one can eat until Saul avenges his enemies and his son doesn't hear that vow and he dips his staff in some honey and eats and, and the people then are famished and then they go and break the law by eating. Oh man, it's just a mess because why? It reveals a man who's self-centered, who's impulsive, impatient, arrogant, and then we get to chapter 15. Saul defeats Amalek but disobeys. He spares King Agag and the best of his livestock as plunder. And what is he doing? He's sparing these and he's looking just like the surrounding nations plundering after war. And he fails to see the error of his ways. 
We, get, we start reading and, and Saul, Samuel confronts Saul about this and he justifies his actions. No, 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 I was, I was just saving those animals for a sacrifice. Okay, Samuel's not buying it. And, and later, then a little later, he calls him to account again in verse 21, he starts blame shifting. No, no, it was the people. They were the ones who took the animals, right? Finally, Samuel calling him out, he finally repents two different times, but we're like, is that sincere? We don't know. But what we do know is it's too late. He's disobeyed. He's revealed his character flaws and he's not fit to be king. As the narrative continues, we see these flaws only grow. Self-exaltation, arrogance. But self-deception, ignorance, denial, a lack of accountability, thinking he can just do whatever he wants. And this continues to fester in his heart. By the time we're introduced to David, who begins to rise among the people, within Saul, all these character flaws fester and become jealousy and paranoia. He's out to get David. And it eventually leads to his own demise and death at the end of 1 Samuel. So as we think about this arc of of God's people requesting a king, let's summarize. The people of Israel, they wanted a king. They wanted a king like the other nations around them. God warns them, says this is where it's going to lead. But they demand a king and Israel gets their king. Who is like the kings of the other nations in many ways? but it does not end well. Just as God had warned them, this self-promoting military leader who lacked humility and character, it's not gonna end well and it doesn't end well. And now we take a deep breath and ask, what does this have to do with us today? What's the connection to us in the church today? For those of us who, who, who claim allegiance to Jesus Christ, who call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, what is the connect? And here's what I think this lands for us. So the reality is we're not, we're not that much different than the Israelites in 1 Samuel 8. We see it in our kids when they argue whose dad can beat up whose dad or whose sibling can lift up the most couches or whatever it is. We see it in our fascination with with certain movies that feature a certain kind of of hero, the strong hero who can beat everyone else up or worse. We see it in, in the people we prop up as a people. Who do we look to to be our leaders? In many ways, we want a king We want a ruler. We want a leader like that, like Saul. Taller, stronger, more beautiful than anyone else, right? But here's the reality for us in the church. For those who claim Jesus Christ as Lord, we have to recognize that in Jesus Christ, God did not give us the king we want. God did not give us the king like Saul. But God did give us the king that we truly need. And in Jesus Christ, we, we, we see a king that instead of taking everything from us, as Samuel warns of an earthly king, our heavenly king, Jesus Christ, gave us everything we need, including his very life. He died for you and for me. 
Instead of a king who, who was out to destroy his enemies and defeat them to the dust, to the ground. God gave us a king who would lay down his life for his enemies. And while Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he said, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And in that powerful act, reconciliation and hope came into this world instead of a never-ending cycle of violence and death and destruction. And this king, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, is the one that we give our lives to. He is the one who, who is our model and who is our example. And if we want to know how this Jesus Christ lived, we just need to listen to his own words. Mark chapter 10. Some of the disciples in, in Mark chapter 10, these words are on the, on the screen. Some of the disciples are, are posturing for control. In one account, it's their mom who's saying, who will, who will be on your right and left? This is Jesus' response. The other disciples catch wind of what's going on, and this is what Jesus says. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, friends, again, we remember on this day who is, in fact, our King, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And, and, and the, the challenge for us is may we actively work to resist the temptation to be like those around us who are clamoring for power, but instead look to follow faithfully after our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, who radically loved in self-sacrificial ways, and in that, he changed our world forever. Holy Spirit, help us to live according to the values of your kingdom, we pray. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are our king. Lord, as we enter into the narrative of, of the monarchy, and, and God, you used the kings of Israel in powerful ways, but all of those kings were broken and flawed to varying degrees. But Lord, in your word, you promise that out of that line of David, and we'll start talking about David next week, but out of that line, Lord, you would send a Messiah, an anointed one. His name is Jesus Christ. And this king would come and rule in a way that was drastically different than any of the kingdoms of this earth had seen. But Lord, in that rule and in that reign, in Christ's sacrificial love, Lord, the, the world that we live in has been radically and forever changed, us along with it. And so Lord, may we never forget, as your people, who is our king. And Lord, may we never forget 
that you are the one who leads us. You are the one who models how we are to live in this world. And Lord, how to live in this world is, is complicated and it's not always easy to discern. But one thing is true. One thing is certain. That Jesus Christ, you are our King. You are the Messiah. You are the one who came, laid down your life to bring life and salvation for a world desperately in need because of our brokenness and sin. So Lord, continue to speak into our lives, we pray, as we sing this song, Jesus Messiah. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing. And he carried the cross
a quick reminder, especially our guests, uh, you are welcome to stick around. We have coffee, donuts, refreshments. Uh, enjoy some time of fellowship, being together as the body and the people of God. Um, on this day, be reminded that each and every one of us cannot do enough to deserve the grace of God. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says that God loved you enough to give his own life so that we might find forgiveness and reconciliation with God the Father. That is the gospel. That is what shapes and forms our life as God's people. So as you go from here, receive God's blessing. And if you want to hold your hands out, feel free to do that. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father Almighty and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. And go in peace. Still.